Welcome to Eat and Stay Podcast, the podcast where we interview those who dominate the hospitality industry. From restaurants to hotels to events and experiences, well, we're curious about all of it. We want to know what makes the industry experts tick and how they got started. Join us as we learn the tips, tricks, and dirty little secrets about what it means to start and dominate the industry that everyone wants to be a part of. Welcome to Eat and Stay Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Eat and Stay Podcast. Today, we have a really riveting guest on the podcast. His name is Pietro Quaglia, and he is the founder and owner of Pietro Nolita, which is an Italian restaurant in New York. Now, you might have seen Pietro Nolita on social media. It's not just an Italian restaurant, but it's all pink. All the decor, everything inside, outside, it's all pink. We got a chance to sit down with Pietro today to ask him about his story, ask him why he decided to make his restaurant pink, and how things have been going for him from there. So, everyone, welcome Pietro Quaglia to the podcast. Pietro, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, thank you for choosing me. Uh, I, I like to tell you the story about Pietro Nolita's uh, interesting one. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, tell us a little bit more about you and your background. Yes, I, um, I'm almost 40. Uh, I moved to uh, the United States when I was... Uh, 20, I moved to Los Angeles, uh, went to school in Santa Barbara and, and in Santa Monica, and then I moved to New York uh, in 2003, finished school, started working in fashion, and got involved into, uh, you know, I, I, liked, I liked to enjoy, I was, you know, I was in New York in the 20s, I, I would go out every night and go to restaurants, and it's beautiful, and I never really understood how um, how to run a restaurant. So in 2007, I think I invested some money that I saved into uh, um, a, a Jamaican restaurant in uh, around the corner from uh, from where I used to where I lived, and uh, it's called Miss Lily's. Now we have four, um, and uh, I invested some money so in order to learn how to operate uh, a restaurant and um, I was blessed enough that uh, Serge Becker who opened La Esquina, who opened Cafe Select and The Box and many other restaurants in New York City um, helped me out and um, and he took me under his wing and he, he taught me a few things about the restaurant business. He opened Miss Lily's as well of course and, um, and one day I told him, I said, like, Serge, I really would love to open my own place, but, you know, very difficult to find locations in New York and liquor license and permits and, and the size of the restaurant. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. So after finding two, three locations that they didn't work out very well, and the one location actually was great, and the owner was about to sell me the restaurant and 
at the, at the time of signing with my lawyers, he asked for $50,000 more. And so I, you know, I just say I give up um, on that deal. And one year later, Serge calls me and he goes, Peter, I found the perfect location for you. Like, oh, where is it? And it's like in Nolita, uh, which is like in the north of Little Italy. That's what it means, Nolita. And it's next to Soho, a little tiny basement uh, restaurant with 25 seats, full liquor license, good rent. And at that point, I said, damn, I have to jump into this and take the opportunity. I was, and trust me, that day I was so scared, really, because it was, um, you know, you're opening a restaurant. You never worked a day in, in, in your life in a restaurant. I worked in fashion mostly, uh, so um, big difference there. And um, nothing. I I remember taking the. It used to be a, a famous Mexican restaurant before, where all the kids used to go and get uh, margaritas to go, which is illegal, of course. Yeah. Um, and um, the place was run down. It's been 15 years and. The lady that worked there, she would come in at five o'clock in the morning and and she she was a legend and, you know, she was very happy to give it to me because, you know, we spoke for, for a few months before and she retired and she went back to Mexico and, and, she, and she was very happy to, you know, pass it on. And, um, and that day when I got the keys and I start like moving stuff around and and I decided to do it, you know, I decided to say, I just want to bring back memories of, of my childhood from from Milan. That's where I was born. Um, I lived there for 20 years in Milan, and I just I, I just wanted to bring back those memories. So I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm opening a restaurant. I found it. Uh, I need you to soon to come here and, you know, come with your recipes and you know, we'll have chefs here working for us and, you know, we can work that together. And um, I lived in a house that was uh, that was really focused on the Memphis group, which is a movement that was born in 1980 in Milan. And uh, it really focused on doing architectural in a different way. So it was very edgy and very not childproof at the time. Um, very colorful, very um, strong edges. And um, so I wanted to re resemble the Memphis group, which is uh, something that reminded me of my childhood. Um, and then I wanted to do it in pink. It's always been part of my life. I always had pink furnitures and you know, just pink, I think is a very chic, elegant color that exudes happiness and it reminds me of my um, my summer times in the in the Ligurian region, which is like just an hour and a half from Milan, um, where you see pastel colors of the Italian Riviera. Every every house has um, has pastel colors, and among them also pink. So I just I just wanted to bring back memories of my childhood. So I decided, fuck, let's do it all pink. Let's make it pink. And um, as a matter of fact, then my motto became Pink as Fuck, where we sell like T-shirts, mugs, um, condoms, uh, keychain, T-shirts, uh, you name it. We sell everything. Like, it says Pink as Fuck. 
and it works. Um, but obviously, my biggest concern was was the food. You know, ingredients in ingredients in Italy are completely different than the ingredients here. So my mom was a little bit concerned. And but we found a great Italian chef here, and um, we had an Argentinian chef as well that came from the Francis Malaman uh, school. Francis Malaman is a fam- famous uh, Argentinian chef. So we had a great team, and with my mom, and we tried new things, and and then we opened, and, and you know, it's, and it's, and it started very strong, and I was I was shocked because you know I said fuck, I just opens a restaurant once, you know, like. You know, like the joke, opens a restaurant once, and uh, I was blessed, and I've been blessed since since then. Every day is a learning experience, let me tell you. Yeah, that's great. So I want to, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff here that I kind of want to follow up on. Um, I, I want to take it back to, you know, before we delve into how things are operating currently. Um, so, you know, back when you said you were first starting out, you said that you, um, you know, you went to fashion school and you invested a small amount in a Caribbean restaurant. So, so how did, how did that process work? I mean, did you, were, were you saving up your money or, you know, did like, how much did they ask for? Did they give you a stake or how did you get connected with them? How did that whole process work? Uh, yes, it's, um, I was, um. Um, I, I live across uh, one of the most famous restaurants in uh, in New York called the La Esquina, and the owner at the time was Serge Becker, and you know I would see him all the time. We go there, we would, you know we bring friends, you know we became friends anyway. So, and I and I and I asked him, I was like, oh, if you open something else next, can I be involved? Uh, and he goes, yeah, of course. Of course, I mean, and and then a few months later, he calls me and says, "I'm opening a Jamaican restaurant." I go, "Okay, great." So if we found the locate, he found the location, and I was one of the first investors. Uh, mind you, there are a lot of investors at Miss Lily, so we could put from ten thousand to fifty thousand to you know as much as you wanted to. So the investment was minimum at the beginning. Um, so that. Because he was smart. Because we, I was a kid that would go out, knew everybody. So if he would, if I would get involved into a new restaurant, he would know that I would bring everybody, you know, right to the restaurant. Which is like it's one of one of the strategies that restaurateurs do, right? Um, and we had the juice bar. We had like a record uh, shop. We were selling T-shirts, Jamaican vibes. We had a we had Miss Lily's radio too, which would like do radio uh, radio station with a DJ. You can you download the app. You know, it was like super cool. Yeah. So y- that shut down. Uh, uh, the restaurant is still the restaurant is still going strong. Um, then we opened another one in the East Village, and um, you know it's uh, was. Now we open uh, one one in Dubai and then one uh, in Negril soon. Um, I'm I'm still involved because I have money. I, I, I have a, a little percent percentage there, but that to me was to put a foot into the restaurant business and understand how it works. Right. 
So you literally, you literally just went up to him, Serge, and like you, you made friends with him because you were going to his restaurant so much, and you just said, "Hey, I'm super interested in what you're doing. Can you kind of take me under your wing?" Well, yeah. That afterwards, after after we opened Miss Lily's, he opened other restaurants, and I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't um, uh, working at the time, so for because I was like doing the transition from fashion to uh, to wanted to do to become the boss of my of, of myself so in for like three months he took me under his wing um, and we would go every morning to each of his restaurants and you would see which each problem that it had what 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 had to be done what could have been better uh, and stuff like that so from there, after those three months, he, he, you know, I told him about, you know, availability in this location. I almost opened a burger joint actually once, you know, trying to get a burger joint because I didn't have a lot of budget to, to open a restaurant. In New York, usually, you know, big restaurateurs have millions of dollars to open a restaurant. I had like a few hundred, you know, so... So I, I, there was a burger joint that I wanted to open because it was affordable, but that was not really who I am. You know, I love burgers, but I'm Italian. It's nothing to do with it. Then there was the the restaurant that I almost signed was Italian restaurant. I was taking it over, which was not my identity. Yes, it was an Italian restaurant. It was not. It was already an Italian restaurant. So I would have t- just taken it over and manage it, you know, and own it. But it was not was not i mean had like a salami hanging you know right. it's not who i am you know um and it didn't have full liquor license which concerned me a little bit but i was a little bit desperate because i wanted to start a business right so that deal thank god the guy asked for more money so i you know at the at the, at the, at the signing um i i said no because i didn't want to spend fifty thousand dollars more and then, um, then so I was a little bit desperate, and Serge out of the blue calls me and I said, Pete, I found the perfect location for you. You just have to let me know by tomorrow because this location is going to go real fast. And, uh, and so I went to see the location. I met the owner of the building. I shook hands, and uh, the deal was, was done. And uh, I became good friends with the landlord. He was he's a nice guy, and he's, uh, he gave me three months free rent, which is very nice to do constructions. And uh, the rent is a sub basement, so the rent is not crazy. I mean, it's still crazy for anyone anyone that does not live in New York, but um, for for what it is, it's good rent. And I had to pay key money though, which was a lot. Um, in order to take over the, the kitchen that was already established and uh, had a full liquor license. And nowadays in New York, I don't know if you know, but in New York nowadays, uh, getting a, a liquor license in, in a neighborhood like Soho or Nolita is very difficult, especially for a small place like mine. Because, mind you, my sitting area, it's 400 square feet. Right. Yeah, it's a hole in the it's a hole in the wall. Right. 
So yeah, let's let's talk about the the process of um, you know securing the key money because for a lot of first time restaurateurs, uh, the the barrier to entry is the finances, right? There are, you know people are asking for key money that they can't afford. They're asking for high monthly rent. It's it's really generous that your landlord gave you three months of free rent. But what did you do in order to raise that key money? Did you did you bootstrap it? Did you ask for loans? How did how did that process work for you? Yes. Um, first of all, before saying this, I have to say that I took a nine month course in in the in the period that uh, before before the restaurant of management school. Uh, where it taught me a little bit more about how to manage a restaurant and how to open a restaurant, you know, even though it was just like a school. But it taught me a lot, I have to say, you know. What school was that? It's it's called Institute of Culinary Education. Okay. Um, It was a a management course for eight months, you know, so it was was nice to do it also. Um, But yes, so... um, I got a loan from my father, actually, who uh, lended me the money, and um, was that the key money was uh, was asked was a hundred thousand dollars, which then I, I I I I was able to take take it down for a while, uh, take it down a, a little bit because it was a hundred k of like a restaurant that fifteen years, so it was like. Uh, everything was kind of beat up and broken so I was like I'm not gonna give you 100k for broken stuff um, but that that 100k is part of also to take the liquor license right um, construction and and uh, and um, I w- I'm, I'm pretty tight when it comes to money I'm very like I come from like uh, my father comes from finance and he taught me very well how to take money uh, and use them respectfully so I, I don't waste money that's that's definitely something that I'm very good at and um, and also in my business I don't I don't really waste money in my business as well so um, and if you have that it really helps you like um, figuring out how uh, how to 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 live and, and be sustain and be and be having like um successful business as a matter of fact uh miss lily's uh, i still haven't made my money back in miss lily's uh, <laughs> and uh, it's been open for eight years but anyway that's a different story mm. yeah. so yes so kimani was um it's kind of a waste a little bit but that's what, what you pay to get into um uh, awesome location my location is prime right the rent is is small there is a lot of prime locations around me with very high hand rents that go to like 25 to thirty thousand dollars and no restaurant that pays more than twenty thousand dollars or you know makes their money back that's for sure Right. Or I mean, either you're like a very famous restaurant, but like if you just open uh, a restaurant and, you know, right. so yes, so I just, you know, I had, a, uh, I asked my construction, 
like Serge gave me his construction guy. So I talked to him. I said, how much money are we going to spend by doing this? He said this. I called my design team how much you want this. And I called my late, uh, my other team to say how much it costs. So at the end of the day, whatever I spent was on, on point, you know, and I didn't waste any money. That's great. So in terms of the design process, how involved were you? And, you know, because obviously for, for our listeners don't who don't know, the, the restaurant truly is pink. Like it's, you know, the interiors are pink, everything. How involved were you with that process? I was involved like a thousand percent in the way that Jeanette, my interior decorator um, and designer, she... I told her, she's just like, show me, those, I, I'd send her like emails full of pictures of what I want and the Memphis group and pink, but I wanted to think as fun, like fun, fun, fun. I don't, I don't, I didn't want to have an Italian restaurant with the wheel of cheese, the salami hanging and the. Uh, the, the pictures of an old guy hugging the other guy. You know, I just wanted to change that mentality that here in America is of Italian, you know, of that, you know, old school. And that's not what Italy is, you know. Italy is a fun place, you know. It's like we're avant-garde, you know. The Memphis group was a movement that changed and revolutionized the the architectural world as a matter of fact they did a show at the guggenheim like two three years ago and you know something that you know has to be changed has to be changed you know it's uh, and and also the color pink it's like oh what people say like why would you do a restaurant is all pink it's like why not what it's like pink pink is a great color actually pink there's a history about pink that not a lot of people know, but pink, pink actually was worn by boys before the Second World War because uh, generals would wear red uniforms and their boys would wear pink ones because red is the closest to red is the closest col- colors to pink, which is uh, stronger than blue. So that's something that people don't know. And um, pink was uh, uh, pink is a color that exudes happiness and uh, positivity. So. Why not putting in a restaurant next to some amazing cocktails and awesome pasta? Why yeah. not? It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it does to me. Yes. So it makes sense to me. So why not do that? And of course, I have to say, in the past two years, I've uh, 90% of my clientele is female, which I don't get it. Uh, but Listen, you know, business is business. It's great. Uh, I think I, I, feel, I see American dudes walking by and say, oh, my God, what is this pink place? I'm never going to go inside. You know, it's like almost, you know, it's too much for like um, a, a man coming to my to my restaurant. But there are a few men that are a little bit smarter and they say, oh, wow, there's pretty ladies in there. Maybe I should go get a beer and a burger inside, you know, yeah, or a bowl of pasta. Um and I have confident men that just love my food and they come to my restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, yeah. 
Do you find that um, that people come in because they want to take photos for their Instagram? I mean, is that the drive? Obviously, you guys have great food, but is that one of the driving forces for people that they want to take pictures? Hundred uh, percent. Um, unfortunately for them, if they come, they cannot take pictures inside. Uh, but outside, yes, they can. They they I, I have like tents outside of. Uh, tens of people shooting commercials um, like from big brands and like <clears throat> movies being shot um, people with big cameras showing up early in the morning late at night um, people just you know people taking pictures outside and I mean my Instagram is very strong also because because of that I never paid anybody to do the Instagram I never you know it's it's been, I've been blessed for for that matter. Uh, inside we allow we allow only phones but no flash, you know, because people are eating. People complain about that. Uh, why I cannot take pictures? That I came here to take pictures of Pietro Lita inside. As it's like this is a restaurant. It's not a photo studio, you know. Right. Sad and they hate me on write me a bad review, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's like part of the business. But we rent out the space inside for photo shoot. As a matter of fact, I shot um, Fendi commercial inside. You know, like my own people from from Italy came, flew to uh, New York, and shot a beautiful commercial with um, with a, a bunch of like cool girls uh, having like cocktails at my restaurant, and it was amazing. You know, it was like the embracing of like each other, each other's like you know. From from Italy, they flew into New York, and we just did a, something Italian. You know, it was beautiful, beautiful. You know, yeah, that sounds great. We rent out the space for 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 commercials. We rent out the space for um, um, a makeup artists, uh, makeup companies, and uh, they just want to shoot in there, or they just want to do a party, so they rent out the space for dinner. We do a lot of uh, of that. People renting out the space because it's 25 seats, you know, so we can fit top 30 people, and they can have the bar for for themselves. So it's like it's the best situation because it's all yours, and you can have it, and you can have a party, and you can do whatever you want inside, you know. Yeah, that's great. So at what point? You know, because you mentioned that you have a really strong Instagram presence and that you've never, you know, paid anyone to do it or, or to work with it. Um, you know, there's there's a lot on Instagram of people wearing your merchandise as well, um, you know, and taking pictures of your coffee cups and, you know, your pink as fuck slogan is is everywhere. At, at what point in your business did you decide, hey, we're going to start focusing on Pietro Nolita as not only just a restaurant, but also a lifestyle brand? Yes, that I, I start. Okay, so let me let me start from the beginning when myself, my girlfriend, and my mom, um, and my friend Camille, we des- I decided to op- to do a T-shirt that um, said "Pink as fuck," and uh, so we made a hundred. So I I didn't know how to make T-shirts, so I asked my friend Camille, and he explained how to get a silk screen. And you have to put some white, uh, you have to get the pink t-shirt and then you put some white and you have to pass it through with like a, 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 a piece of wood 
And, you know, he showed it to me. And then it was me and my girlfriend and my mom, like, uh, with um, hair. You have to uh, dye the the T-shirt in it. I mean, it was a, a process that I've never done before. And, was, and three people, we did it in my apartment. And we made hundreds of those, you know. And um, I sent it to my friends. And, like, one of, one of my best friend uh, calls me and she goes um, Peter I love your t-shirt I mean I want to wear it on, on for fashion week uh, I said Joanna are you crazy she said it's pink as fuck you're going to be photographed you're going to be going to like high end events and fashion shows like are you crazy oh, no no it's perfect it matches my Gucci uh, skirt and I'm wearing um uh, Brian Atwood uh, shoes, so it looks perfect. It was summertime, September. She wore it, and you know, paparazzi took so many pictures. Of course, like I mean, Giovanna Battaglia is a very well-known style, you know, she, a creative director, stylist, and um, and from that day, you know, people who come with a picture of Giovanna say, "I I need this this T-shirt." This is like, well, I, you know. Yes. Okay. Great. And um, and from there, I have to say that she gave me a boost to for my pink as fuck uh, merch. And still today, she supports me all the time. I mean, we're best friends, so you know, um, it was very nice of her to risk. That that was to me the most uh, the most important thing was that she risked her image and herself to put like a, a, a t-shirt that says pink as fuck and you know how nowadays if you're a public figure if you do something that is a little bit awkward you might get you know um uh, you might get uh, uh yeah troubled and stuff so and she didn't care and she went for it and um and you know i still thank her every day yeah, it sounds like, you know, for you, you're you're really good at, at networking and maintaining connections with people, um, which is great. And I think a lot of people who are starting out restaurants or, you know, anything in the hospitality industry, they underestimate the the importance of connection and, you know, kind of just supporting each other in the community because you you did the same as well for, um, for Serge. You know, you'd bring people to his restaurants and, yeah. And I have to say... I got a lot of love from from my friends when I first opened the restaurant that said, Pietro, I'm going to write an article for your restaurant in the New York Times. I was like, oh, wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. That would be a great boost. Pietro, I'm going to write an article at W Magazine. Oh, wow. Thanks. I'm going to write an article on this one. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You need anything, you know? So... From my community, from my group of friends, from going out for many years in New York, from from who I am, you know, I got a lot of love back. So it's nice. It's nice to. It was. I was. Uh, trust me. I was so scared to open a pink place in the middle of Nolita with no experience whatsoever. And trust me, that experience came real fast because for the first nine months to a year, I worked there like from 11 to 11 every day 
lost so much weight. Yeah. It was like I was doing the manager, I was doing the server, I was doing the chef, I was doing the dishwasher, I was doing the the when the toilet got uh, got clogged, I you know I put the hand in there two three times it happened. Um, I did everything. I did I did deliveries. I did, I mean actually not deliveries within. I did um, handyman. I did it all, and I learned real fast. I'm still learning today, and uh, now I have a great team. But something that I'm learning on the restaurant business that, and it's been two years now, two years and a few months. It's like every single day there is a problem, right? And is uh, and I I I usually handle problems with uh, as like very dramatic as me being Italian and being very dramatic in everything I I do and say. Uh, at the beginning it was not fun. Now you see now I learn how to handle it. Now it's like oh. The, the dishwasher broke. We cannot. Uh, okay, so fix it. You know, we'll, we'll fix it. We have the connection now. We have. We know everybody. It's been broken many times. Someone else will come. Maybe we have to wash dishes by hand. It's okay. It's cool. No stress. We'll fix it. And but there is always a problem, you know. And the chef argues with the the front of the house and the back of the house. And and then then again, I say also like. I have a 25-seat restaurant, you know, eight right. tables should be pretty smooth, but it's not. It is not smooth. So Then again, also, I get 250 people on a Saturday. So that's also like something that think about it as well. You know, it's right. becomes like a shit show on a Saturday and a shit show. Everything breaks, every, everything goes wrong and most profitable day of the week of course and 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 it becomes a, a dramatic time but hey you know it's part of the restaurant business so what have been some of your your biggest hardships to date it's dealing with my employees that's the been, been the hardest thing because i was an employee myself i had a boss and i I know what, how to, I, I was, I had a boss, um, and bosses are usually not that nice. I mean, the one that I had, they were not very nice. So, but Hey, I'm getting paid. I need to do my job and I come on time. I leave at the time that I need to leave. And that's the way business is. That's the, the way I, I grew up in the restaurant business nowadays. Um, uh, uh, I have young kids, and they're very um, um, entitled, um, and uh, and some of them work and they love the, the job. Some they just work because they have to make money. They make a lot of money in my restaurant because tips and stuff. And um, if I reproach them, it's the end of the world. The end of the world. It's like someone killed them. <laughs> so I have to I have to really treat them uh, as um, some of them have to be you know have to be with uh, very careful and say hey oh so I'm sorry if I bother you uh, while you're working but is that possible if you can clean the uh, the um, 
the ceiling because you know you dirty and if you don't mind if you don't mind because otherwise i have to ask the uh tomorrow i have to ask the uh, the cleaning person to come and you know it's like it's very difficult i mean i'm not joking that's how i speak i have to speak to them like this otherwise they they go to the manager and say oh pietro came in he told me to do things and like and he was so rude and like uh, i cannot stand this i want to leave and it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's very difficult dealing with employees. I, I have to say. Yeah, especially the the millennial workforce. I mean, it, it, you know, and I I've you know when when you're working with millennials, it, there's a sense of, you know, they like what's what's good for them at the time, and if there's anything that's inconvenient, you know, it they want to move on to the next thing, you know. But but there's hard work, like. Right. And, you know, that's not how life is. Like when, you know, when things are hard, you have to stick through it and, and keep going and then eventually things will get better. But my, my father worked in the same company for 45 years. Like, I mean, I don't I, I don't understand. The thing is that also they called Millennial Pink, my my restaurant sometimes. And I go nuts. I said, what is Millennial Pink? What does it even mean? There is so much history about pink before this Millennial Pink thing. And besides the fact, oh, let's go to Pietronita, so millennial pink. This is not millennial pink. It's like Memphis group, like Ettore Sotto, pastel colors of the Italian Riviera. Just so much history behind it. And just people disregard it completely, thinking it's like, oh, this is, oh yeah, they just open a restaurant. This is like millennial pink. It's using millennial pink. What, what does it even mean, millennial pink, in, 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 a, in, a, in a culture, in a, in a mentality? What does it mean? I don't get it, you know? I don't get it. And in fact, I wrote on a, on a, on the Gothamist. Uh, I wrote, I said, why you guys call it Millennial Pink? It's, it's like it, it's almost ignorant. It's almost like um, it's almost like so cliche. So like, what well, really? It's just like you think someone just opened a pink place just to just because it's Millennial time. Like what? I don't know. I'm 40 years old. I don't know what millennial pink means, you know. I, the only the only thing I know is that you work hard, you put time in, and you succeed. That's what it, I I know. Right. What year did your restaurant actually open? Open in October of 2016. October 2016. Yeah. So I mean, I think you know when people are saying millennial pink, they're referring to you know the last few years. A lot of restaurants have been making their food and drinks and experiences Instagram friendly because it's it's essentially free advertising but the thing is that's frustrating is that's not why you formed right i mean you formed because you genuinely had the desire to create a new italian experience combined with your personal design interests um 100% i opened my restaurant not knowing about instagram not having instagram for myself personally um, I have a bathroom that says love me, love me, that people take pictures like stupid, like they stay hours in the bathroom. I have only one bathroom, you know, so people stay thousands of hours in the bathroom taking pictures. And it's a great it's a great bathroom and it's like um, amazing. Uh, but, you know, I I asked my friend Curtis Kulig, who's an artist that does love me. In New York is very well known as a friend of mine is my neighbor um, I walked into the studio and I saw the stickers uh, uh, that says 
love me, love me. And I says, he had a bunch of them. And I says, like, oh, is that cool? If if, if I put them in, we, we make like a, almost a wallpaper in the bathroom. And I says, oh, that's a great idea. Um, so he came to the bathroom because the, the, the bathroom uh, of the Mexican place was very famous because it had stickers from every other um, rest uh, from every, all over the world, you know. So I, I wanted to bring back the sticker situation again with like a cool artist, you know, that has loved me everywhere. If you come to New York, actually in, in LA, there is a huge wall of love me in Culver City and it's everywhere in LA too. I don't know if you noticed love me. So anyway, but um, so we went there three days actually took us to put every sticker one that was white that says love me in pink and then the other one was pink that says love me in white and actually we thought oh in 20 minutes we'll do it and it took us three days to do it the way we wanted wow people trying to steal the stickers people add other stickers which is cool you know i I don't care if people put stickers or other things you know that's part of the why i did it you know and um but then it's an Instagram moment. Then I, I put a telephone, a pink telephone, and that's another Instagram moment. I did it as a matter of the core, you know? And we did some neon lights, and that was that was a matter of, everything was a matter of the core, and just when you walk into Pietronita, you sit down, and you see the aesthetics, and it's very pleasing. And I come from aesthetics, I come from fashion. I wanted to sit down in a place where the aesthetic the aesthetics are nice and pastas are amazing and cocktails are great. That's yeah. all. That's the only thing I wanted to do. And it became my Instagram thing. Yeah, that's great. So it's, which is like good things and bad things as well. So, well, it's good for advertising, but it's not good when people are taking hours in your bathroom and you only have one bathroom and other people need to use it. Like that's, yeah, that's kind of a pain. When people get offended, when um, they cannot, you know, do a, a photo shoot inside because, um, sorry, this is a restaurant. It's not like a photo shoot studio, but people, some, some people are very entitled and they say, well, I'm here. I need to do a photo shoot. I need to change in the bathroom and I need to uh, do a photo shoot uh, for my blog. And I said, okay, so you can do that. If you rent out the space, we do it on Monday and Tuesday from nine to 11. You can rent out the space, but now you see there's people eating and you cannot, you know, as simple as that. But and then I get a bad review, you know. Oh, the owner is an asshole and this and that. And, uh, you know, so. But. I'm uh, I'm looking right now on, on Instagram at a, a picture of an influencer who just took a picture um, around Valentine's Day in your bathroom. And I, I see the Love Me stickers and the heart-shaped mirror and the. Um, and all that. And yeah, I, I can definitely see how, how that would be a problem. You know, people going in there and doing outfit changes and, and all that. I mean, it's. And they yeah. go in two, three, two, three in the bathroom, which the, that by the health code, if the health, if the health department or the fire department just walks by as for a check, which they do all the time and they go into the bathroom, there's three girls in the bathroom, then I get a fine and you know, I mean, I tell people, but, you know, it's, I tell my staff, but, this, you know, they sneak in and people that come from even outside, they just say, oh, okay, I, I just need to go to the bathroom. And it's like, I'm sorry, you know, it's for customers only. I mean, I cannot control everything. Have you ever had an influencer get like aggressive with you or, you know, get really, really angry if you told them that they, they couldn't take a picture? Um not that crazy i had i remember one guy it was like uh one guy that uh, stood up to me 
And he told me, what do you mean I cannot use the camera? That's the only reason why I came here. And I said, well, you can leave if you want. I don't mind. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm straightforward with anybody that comes to my restaurant. It's my restaurant. If I don't like you because you disrespect me or my employees, I'll tell you to leave. And I'm not going to tell you in a nice way. It's my restaurant. I can do whatever I want to. But you disrespect my restaurant, you disrespect my employees, I'm not going to be nice. Because people work very hard. I work very hard for the restaurant. And if you don't treat, uh, if you don't have respect in my restaurant, I'm not going to be nice. Right. I drunk people like doing crazy stuff in my restaurant to kick out. So, you know, it's, I mean, you, you, you have, you have every, everybody, you know, I get everybody. I get the tourists, I get the neighborhood, I get the people from um, Long Island, you know, I, I get everybody and everybody, the majority of the people are super nice and they, they love the place and they have like great attitude and yes, sometimes you have to wait 30 minutes for a table and, you know, they're nice and I'll send them like some something to eat or something, you know, I try to be nice to everybody, but it has to be reciprocal, you know? Right. So let's change directions a little bit. We've talked a lot about the design and the, the aesthetics of the restaurant. I want to ask you a few questions about the food. So when you were starting the restaurant, walk me through the process of how you, you know, figured out what was going to be on the menu, what you were going to serve. I know you mentioned that your mom came over from Italy. Was she the one who was kind of in charge of coming up with the recipes or how did that work? Well, my mom, her entire life, she was blessed enough that she was uh, she was a mom. So she would like cook and um, she cooked pasta and she cooked it. The, you know, we have a, our famous carbonara that we serve only on the weekend, which is my mom's secret recipe. And which I tell everybody what it is, of course, when, when I'm there and when I sell it. But it's 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 a shocking recipe because people don't believe it. Just, what do you mean? It doesn't have this and that. Wow. How can it taste good? How can it taste good like this? Uh, and it's, it's, um, it's the simplicity of growing up with an Italian mom that wants to feed you nice stuff. So that's the rest, the concept of, of my, um, uh, of my restaurant is healthy Italian cuisine in the way Italian food can be healthy if it's served in a certain way. So th there is. When you go to Italian restaurants here, they're full of butter, full of cream. Portions are huge. That's not that's not the way it is in 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 Italy, or as a matter of fact, in my household. So I wanted to bring back like the concept of Italian food from my mom's recipe, which are cooked with no butter, no cream, with high-end ingredients. And the simple, simple ingredients, you know, we have a spaghetto al pomodoro, which is our most sellable one, which is just spaghetto al pomodoro. We, we prepare the pomodoro sauce. It takes a long time to prepare. Then we put a chunk of ricotta on top, no butter, no cream, and you mix it up and you put some black pepper, some great olive oil to finish, high hand olive oil. Boom, done, you know, 100 grams, three, you know, if you think about calorie wise it's like 360 calories for the pasta tomato sauce add like other 60 the ricotta yes it's cheese but it's a light version of cheese so you know it's it's a 500 you know 500 calorie dish which is like 
not bad nowadays. But think if you add butter, think if you add um, uh, cream, which is people do this, you know, people do this. They add mm-hmm. butter and cream in, in, in pasta. But if you if you Italian food, it's about preparation. Prepping is what makes a good restaurant, you know. Yeah. So that's what we do. We prep so much. We have someone comes in at seven o'clock making fresh pasta, making uh, the, the sauce. And it's like a pain in the ass. Even though we have a small menu because the restaurant is small, it's like a lot of work, a lot of work. I mean, it's just talking to my chef this morning. It's like, we need to, you know, it's always a problem. So, you know, but yes. And we find, find to, uh, we use local uh, people. So yeah, we, we're trying to support the, the locals. So it's nice we, you know it's even our tiramisu we are famous for our tiramisu as well so it's like our tiramisu we make in in house so we don't over, over go with with sugar it's not sugar it's like you know i could buy tiramisu and have it at the restaurant but that's disgusting yeah so i buy so... gelato because i i cannot have space to make my own gelato but that's the only thing and we have panna cotta or that we make in house as well but 90% of my food is prepped in the house. So it's like, it's hard. So it's, it's hard. So we do fusilli limone, for example. This is like from, my, from, from one of my chefs that worked with my mom, which um, he got it from his boss. But we, of course, tweaked it because we don't copy. So it's like, it's a fusilli limone. Now we use... Uh, zucchini cream and lemon zest and almonds on top, which is a um, very Sicilian uh, way of uh, doing um, a pasta because, you know, almonds from Sicily, they're, they're very famous. But um, so that's something different. That's something that you, that you don't eat in every restaurant, you know, and it's $18 and it's affordable. It's like, I mean, for New York standards and um, it's tasty. It's good. It's and then you know we serve we serve like octopus you know we serve we have like a great salmon we have chicken we have steak from Pino's uh, down the street the oldest butchers in uh, in New York in New York City on Sullivan Street you know so we support locals you know it's, and they support us and it's it's a win-win situation and my menu is done like that you know we have like two sides of broccoli and pancetta and um, and it's seasonal so. In, now we have this menu. As soon as spring comes, we're gonna use pesto, for example. You know, now we have butternut squash ravioli. In the summertime, we're gonna have like ricotta and peas ravioli. You know, so we switch it up every uh, three, four times, which is great. I think it just gives a variety, a way of freshness that makes it true. So. As far as changing out the the restaurant menu seasonally, is that spearheaded by you, or is that spearheaded by a chef, or maybe like an outside consultant? I think it's uh, um, it's no outside consultant in my restaurant. Um, it's just the nature of things, you know. Like, uh, do I want to eat pesto in uh, basil? Is it in the winter time? No, because it doesn't grow next door. So we use kale pesto, for example, you know, as kale is a very uh, wintry dish. So basil, to me, 
makes me think about summertime. So we, it, I tell the chef, chef, oh, it's beautiful out. out. And so uh, I think it's time for, for us to to change the chef, uh, change the menu. And you know, it, for us, it takes a while to change the menu because we have to reprint all the menus. We have to try the dishes before. We have to find time that we, when you know, it's like it's a process, but. We always find a way to do it, and I think people appreciate it. For example, we have a burrata that we mix, we pair it with butternut squash, and people love it. In the summertime, we do it with tomato and peaches, you know, because tomato already, for example, tomatoes, fresh tomatoes, they're only, you can only eat them from June to August. No, no question asked. Anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter. That's the fresh tomatoes, only time that... They are like the best is between June and August. So, of course, then, you know, sometimes we have it from, uh, you know, May to September, you know. But still, you know, the, you have to follow what the, the climates say, you know. It's, that, that's what I believe. That's, you know, that's how I was raised like that. So, um, I believe in it. Yeah, and it's it's consistent with a with a restaurant who prioritizes fresh ingredients. I mean, some restaurants who, you know, might buy things like they don't need to change out their menus because they're buying things and, you know, they're they're getting things sent to them. But if you guys are working with local, um, you know, local vendors and you really want to make things seasonal, then, yeah, that makes sense that you would follow the, the patterns of, of what's in season. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, it is important for us and. Uh, it's more work though, and it's like it's, it's more headache and stuff. Sometimes I would say, I, sometimes I, I think about okay, so just okay, I buy tomato sauce, pour it in the pasta, put some butter and cream, serve it, sell it for a little bit less, and job is done. I mean that doesn't. I mean that's like that's crazy. I don't know how people can get. I, I don't know how restaurants can get away with it. You know, I really can't. Right. <clears throat> so. I have a couple of questions about, um, you know, the restaurant and how it's operating today. So currently, how involved are you with the day-to-day operations of the restaurant? Look, it's, um, um, I mean, I am, I know what's going on at the restaurant. I know everything 24-7. I have a great manager that runs my my restaurant that, um, that works there and she we are in direct contact 24 7 um she pays the bills she replies to the emails but i know exactly what she what what is she, what she does 24 7 so i know every penny that goes on in the restaurant and how much money we make i know everything from banking and uh depositing and i'm super involved I'm super involved. It's my life now, you know. I it's like I quit everything else. Now I just, you know, take care of the restaurant because it gets busy and it's good business. So you know, I want to make it work. I want to make it last. So right. I need. I do. I, I, I although I I'm there. I go there every day. You know, sometimes at nighttime, sometimes during the day, sometimes both, sometimes. Um, when I don't go, when I don't go, I feel guilty when I'm in New York. Then sometimes I travel. I need to travel because it's like it's exhausting, exhausting. So I try to travel 
Um, and but I have a I have a strong chef. I have a strong front of the house. Uh, I feel confident, so I I can breathe a little bit now. You know, right. But so, I have cameras on my phone. I check cameras on my phone twenty four seven. That's a disease. I need to quit that. Yeah, yeah. You're you're constantly thinking about about the restaurant. Yeah, sometimes when I'm out of outside New York, I I forget that I have a restaurant, and I and when and when it, for two seconds that after those two seconds, I realize oh wow uh, oh uh, yeah I own a restaurant oh wow but for those two seconds it's amazing. I was like, oh, what? I forgot that restaurant. This is like crazy. So, but it, it is very gratifying in a way, having a restaurant. And when people say, Pietro had the best meal ever, uh, they tag you on Instagram. They said like, best pasta I ever had, best cocktails I ever had, best this I ever had. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a basement. It's super tiny, literally super tiny. And on a Saturday when you come there and it's like, 25 seats and you see 30 people sitting there and it's all cramped and people complaining it's like you know of course people say also bad stuff about it but you know it's part of the game right part of the game but it's nice when people really you know what is even nicer is when italian people say wow pietro the pasta was great it's like what italian telling me that my pasta is great it's like I, I won. I won then. If like your people tell you that what are you doing is great, everybody else's like opinion is like doesn't matter if you know. Sometimes I tell people, well look, if you don't like my pasta, you can go to Olive Garden. You get ten ninety nine, you get like amazing shrimp pasta and you get free breadstick. You know, please go there if you don't like my restaurant, you know? Little little is down the street. Please go ahead. So you know, it's but when 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 well-traveled people and they compliment you, it's it's to me is an honor. It means I'm doing something right. Right. So, what's next for Pietro Nolita um, or you? Do you have plans to expand? Are you working on other concepts? Yes, 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 yes. So the next plan is opening next door a pizza place. Okay. Um, which is going to be probably happening in a year from now, maybe, maybe a little bit less. Let's see if I'm lucky. It's a, with the same landlord and same design team. Everybody's ready. Just I need to get the space, you know. And it's going to be same vibe, a little bit more, eh, let's see a surprise, a little bit more edgy, I guess I would say. Not as pretty as it is now, as Aesthetically, it's going to be a little bit more. Uh, so, yeah, so it's going to be pizza, mostly. Uh, that's that's just pizza. Pizza, pizza. Napolitan pizza. Um, the same size of uh, Pietronolita, so it's going to be tiny. It's going to be e- easy going, though. It's like more deliveries, more you, you go there for a slice, or you go to sit down to have a pizza and a beer, and you go, you know? It's going to be easy going fast fast casual it's pietro Lita is already fast 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 i mean fast uh well we're getting faster but it's more like casual this is gonna be fast casual you know pizza take 90 seconds boom it's yours 
is it is the new pizza place going to be its own I guess kind of concept or is it going to kind of piggyback off of the design influences of Pietro Nolita it's definitely going to piggyback on the design of Pietro Nolita but it's going to be a little bit more edgier okay and you know I'm, I'm looking to expand in LA too huh yeah close to you guys so yeah that would be great yeah i think it would do very well out here maybe in in venice or um, the arts district or one of those places yes i went to venice to see it but it's very expensive right now venice so yeah. you know it's, it could be like there's a few places i have a lot of friends in la that's that's why i'm going next week as well also to to look at a few things but We'll see. We'll see. That that's gonna take. That's gonna first. I wanna open the pizza place. When pizza place goes the way I want to, then we'll come to LA with a smile on our faces. You know. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll we'll look forward to it. Yes. Yes. Um, great. So I have a couple of hot seat questions for you. Awesome. Okay. So the first one is what advice would you have for a budding restaurateur? And I would like you to be brutally honest. Yes, I have actually uh, a friend of mine, uh, acquaintance of mine that became a friend uh, that is here from Italy and is trying to open a restaurant. He has a successful restaurant in Italy, um, and to to a restaurant uh, to, to a new guy that wants to open a restaurant in, in New York. That's the only suggestion I can say because opening a restaurant in another place, I wouldn't even know myself how to do it, but. To open a restaurant in New York, I would I would tell them not to, but not because is they are not going to be able to. But in order to open a restaurant in New York City, you have to be in New York, live New York, understand New York, and breathe New York. And so you have to be living here for a long long time and understand uh, how New York works. Then, if you are a guy like that that been living in New York for a long time, and it then I would say, yes, open, you're, you're well connected enough, you know people, you want to open it, but I would tell them, make sure you have a full liquor license, because that's key in every restaurant. Uh, never open if you don't have a liquor license, I don't think it's worth it. Um, pay less than 20K rent, 100%, and no more than... Um, if it depends on the location, but no more than $250,000 key money. Okay, great. Um, all right. So next question, I would like to ask you what the best meal that you've ever had in your life is. It's my mom's carbonara in at home. Simple as that. I could die. I could ask for the last meal. I'll ask my, for my mom to cook for me. I mean, I know this is very, it's, it's like what I think every restaurateur would say that comes from uh, a generation of uh, moms staying at home and cooking for, for, for their kids. Uh, you know, I grew up like that and so it's my mom's. But, you know, I, there are other restaurants in New York that I love and I go to, to the other restaurant. They make also Italian restaurants. So it's, it's great. It's like... But yeah, it's my mom's, for sure, 100%. So that actually leads me to my next question, which is, what is your favorite restaurant in your city besides your own? 
my, the fair, I went last night after a long time, I haven't been there. And it's called Indochine, which is a French uh, Vietnamese restaurant. And it's been open for 30 years. And I lived in that restaurant for many, 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 many years in the way that we go there like two, three times a week. Every Friday night I had a table there for me. And I just love the food. The food is so consistent all the time. The owner is super nice. And, and the place has been there for 30 years in New York City. It's like I've been to their 10 anniversary party. I've been to their 20 anniversary party. I mean, to, no, maybe 10, no, but 20 anniversary party, the 30 anniversary party. I mean, it's great. I'm on their book. Uh, you know, they have a book out of industry. Um, I have a picture on there for me. It's great. It's the best vibe. It's it's a legit restaurant. And it's uh, my favorite restaurant in New York. Great. And, mm-hmm. you know, we follow each other on Instagram, you know, which is, to me, is an honor that Indochine follows me on Instagram, you know? Yeah. Um, it's great. I'm blessed. You know, it's like New York City has given me so so much. You know, it it New York is uh, it's a beautiful city. It takes a lot from you, but it gives you so much as well. So yeah. energy wise as well. So. Well, I'm gonna link to that restaurant Indochine in the show notes so that if any of our listeners are in New York, that they could stop by and and check that out as well. Um, great. And then. So I guess my my last question for you is where can people find out more about you or Petro Pietro Nolita if they're interested? Well, you know, it's uh, Google. It's about Google, Googling and see articles um, on the New York Times and Eater and um, or uh, come to the restaurant and see me. You know, I'm there. If you're lucky, I'll give you a sticker that says pink as fuck. Um, we, I end out stickers to, you know, guests that are there sometimes. Um, I'll tell you, you know, I, people ask me all the time, oh, why did you do a pink? And I tell them the story I told you. Um, uh, it's, um, I, something that you see I'm doing is like, for, for example, my merch that I sell, I only exclusively sell it at the restaurant only, which people say, Peter, but you can sell it online. People from New Zealand can order a thing and you can make money out of it. And I say, I don't care about that. I care about the fact that you come to Pietro Nolita, you sit down, you have the experience, then you buy something because you said, oh, wow, this makes sense, you know? Um, I, I opened this I opened this business because of passion and now it became a business which scares me a little bit because you know it's like oh whoa this is a business now like you know it's you know I'm paying employees it's like it's like I'm paying taxes and stuff it's like it became a business I I opened at the beginning I opened this restaurant with for a passion and and I was lucky that it's going very well, but now it's becoming a business. But I want—I have my strategies, you know. I have my way to do things, and and luckily I'm the only person that owns the restaurant, so I can do whatever I want. And if I want, if I want to sell things only at the restaurant, I sell things only at the restaurant, and I love it. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, well, Pietro, thank you so much for our conversation today. 
this has been really, really great and informational. Um, Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for for giving me a chance. Yeah, this has been great. So, yeah, thank you so much, and uh, we will uh, we'll see everyone next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Eat and Stay Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can keep bringing you these episodes week after week. If you have any comments, questions, or want to be interviewed on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us via email at eatandstaypodcast at gmail.com or join our private Facebook group, Eat and Stay Podcast Listeners. We'll see you for next week's episode, but in the meantime, remember to eat and stay well.